Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. Coming up on today's Better Together. I needed this book as the 10 year old boy who was shown porn for the first time long before his body or mind was ready for it. Likely paving new neural pathways, linking images of naked women to happiness and false feelings of self-worth. Images that he would later use to attempt to fill voids in his life. Voids that when he was not aroused in the moment of using porn would be replaced by shame. I needed this book as the 18-year-old freshman in college who felt the need to prove his masculinity by hooking up with as many girls as he could without any regard for their feelings or attachments in the process. And as the 22-year-old who didn't know how to say he wasn't emotionally ready to have sex for the first time. And as the 25-year-old man who was heartbroken and so financially broke that even if he could have afforded to eat for that month after he learned he was cheated on, he wouldn't have. And I needed it as the 29-year-old who had finally found the love of his life staged one of the most elaborate proposals of all time. And then also found himself having cold feet for no other reason than what society was telling him would happen to him once he got married. And I go on and on and on up until me now, who's 37. I'm on a journey to get better in all areas of life, from wellness and mental health to career and relationships and so much more. I know getting better isn't easy, but it's a whole lot easier when you can do it together. Welcome to Better Together with me, Maria Menounos. Hey, Better Together with Maria Menounos fans. Yeah, that's right. It's not Maria Menounos. It's Mr. Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, sitting in for my beautiful and lovely and talented wife. Very exciting show today. Super exciting for me and kind of uh, a little selfish. I really wanted this interview for me more than my (laughs) wife, although it's a friend of my wife's, but uh, something that really hits uh, home with me and I think will hit home for our males, but also our females to help uh, better understand us. Uh, We're going to be with Justin Baldoni talking about his new book, Man Enough. Um... And I'm going to open with a quote, Kelsey. Yes, please do. Another one. These, these like power one. quotes, just always, it's that punch to the stomach. I know. That knee to the groin, just for <laughs> me, it makes me go, ooh. But in a good way. Yeah. If there is a good way. Okay, boys growing to men, yes. But in some ways, we always feel ourselves to be on that playground. Always feel afraid someone is going to call us weak and not man enough. Ooh, okay. We craft our armor against it like medieval knights. But if you've ever tried on one of those chainmail suits of armor, you know that not only are they so heavy and confining, you can barely walk, but they also end up cutting us off from the outside world and completely preventing true intimate connection to others. 
Oh my goodness. If you're a guy, you understand that. I think if you're a girl, you understand that too. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. A little bit about our, <laughs> our friend here. Uh, Justin Baldoni is an American actor, filmmaker, director, and author. And by the way, I want to say that was a quote from Justin Baldoni. Yes. Left that out here. So I'm trying to rush this thing along to get to Justin. We're so excited. Right? (laughs) Among so many ventures, Justin starred in CW's Jane the Virgin and created the documentary series Last Days, chronicling people in their final days of life. However, to call Justin an actor, filmmaker, director, and author is not giving him full credit. Justin is a deep-thinking humanist, highly concerned with the well-being of others. While he could school us on so many subjects today, including tiny homes, he is here to talk about Man Enough, his new book on masculinity and undefining traditional roles, and it means to help us evolve and become our greatest selves. Better to get in the Heel Squad, welcome a personal friend of Maria's, Mr. Justin Baldoni. Hey, Justin. Wow, that was so sweet. Oh, well. Thank you. Yeah, well, Thank you, you, my friend, I, 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 as I read this, I'm like, this this guy is highly evolved. And I, I was telling the girls, I go, I, I think he's Jesus. <laughs> he even looks oh, like we him. Agreed. We but, agreed. But but then I say, but then I say, but then I say. Uh, Jesus was darker than me. When that, that, this, is, <laughs> this is true. Yeah. But you've had a lot of years, so you got lighter. But um, but I was going to say that I don't, it's unfair to say to anybody because it's just too much pressure to, because we're all human. It's not really fair to put that on anybody. I just want to say like for you to be, and even the recurring themes of the films you make about people dying and passing on and, you know, we're dealing with that right now. And um, I feel like in our culture, we... One of the things we also bury is death. In other cultures, you're born knowing you're going to die, and they know it's kind of a part of the journey, and it's on to a new world or a new thing. But here, we're always like shocked when it comes. Yeah, here we're here we're uh, we're raised uh, pretending like we're not going to die. Yeah, right. So can you? Yeah. Can, I mean, by the way, Liz, I want to get into man enough, but for someone right now who's going through this, and I think there's a lot of people out there going through it with COVID. Yeah. Any like helpful words you can give us about you know the passage because you've now you've your sure. your, your series documented all this but then also like I'm noticing that recurring theme in your beautiful films and by the way like I mm. really encourage people to follow Justin as a director because I think you're really on the beginning of that part of your journey as well but Justin tell me if you could like from your experiences with this you know what can you yeah. give us the bright side a little bit <laughs> please uh, this is one of my favorite favorite subjects. Um, I've realized I really have a thing for for talking about really uncomfortable subjects. Um, I'll have to talk to my therapist about that at some point. <laughs> but uh, but for me, look, it's got to start with faith. I was raised in the Baha'i faith. I'm a follower of the Baha'i faith. And Baha'u'llah says that I have made death a messenger of joy for thee. Wherefore dost thou grieve? And I... I think we have to really look at it from the big picture. And if you don't have a belief in something, of course, that's going to be terrifying because we're putting all of our eggs in this basket. We're thinking that this world is all that there is, that the material success, the all the superficial stuff, that everything is about this right now and not thinking that maybe this is just the beginning of a journey, a longer journey, that maybe we have souls. And what I can what I can offer right now comes directly from the Baha'i writings, and I I talk about this a lot. Um, and it's it's to think of death like birth. And we're, in the Baha'i faith, we're told that um, when we're in the womb, when babies are in the womb, we 
are alive. We are existing. We are in a world. We are we are developing and growing, and we have we are given sustenance. We're encapsulated in this perfect <laughs> this perfect universe. It's the right temperature. We're floating, and we're and uh, and we're we're content. We have everything that we need in that world, but we have no free will. So everything that's happening to us is happening to us not on our own will, but on the will of our mother and God's. Um, the mother is feeding us via her nutrition, and her choices are influencing us and our growth and development. And then we're growing these things, and we're growing these things like eyesight, like skin, lungs, so that we can breathe noses so that we can smell, uh, tongues so that we can taste. We're growing our brains so that we can think. Um, but we don't need these things for that world. We don't need any of the things that we're developing in the womb for the womb. We need them for where we're going next. But in the womb, we have no idea where we're going next because we're completely content and we have no frame of reference to understand or comprehend that an entire world exists outside of the womb. However, as we know scientifically, two inches away on the other side is this. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're going to love it. Unbelievable universe where suddenly we will need everything that we're developing, but we don't even know we're developing. So one day uh, we die of the womb in an uncomfortable process. We go through a tunnel, a dark tunnel, and on the other end, we're born into light. And suddenly, we need all of the things that we were developing in the womb. We need our eyesight because there's light now, right? There's mm -hmm. photons and electrons. There's smells. But you could have never pulled the baby in the womb that just a couple inches away existed this vast universe that we were going to be, that, that the baby was on a floating rock in the middle of a universe that was orbiting a sun, that, that there are stars in the galaxy, that there's, that there's oxygen, that you, you'll need to be able to breathe. You're gonna have legs so that you can walk because there's ground. You're gonna be able to eat food because you're gonna have a stomach that digests. You could have never told the baby those things. Then you're born into this world and you need everything that you were spending those nine, 10 months developing. And what we're told is that just an inch away, right here in fact, but we don't have the ability to see it is where we're going next. And where we're going next, we're going to need a different set of things. The spiritual versions of our arms and our legs and our eyes and our ears. And those things can only be developed while we're here on our own accord, because we have free will to develop those things. And how do we develop those spiritual things? Through tests and through tribulations. We develop those things 
when we're put through the spiritual gym, when we're put in situations that that frustrate us or make us angry, that are uncomfortable. What are those things? Trustworthiness, love, kindness, steadfastness, forbearance, peace, justice, right? Uh, you go on and on and on. Kindness. All of these things are the qualities that we're going to need where we are going. On the other side. So then, Justin, what but about... We don't have the ability to comprehend that yet because we're finite beings. Right. So what about the people that didn't subscribe to those things you just mentioned in this Great lifetime? Question. So the the one thing that we're told in the Baha'i faith is that God is a just and loving God. He's the all-forgiving to the point where we don't even have the ability to comprehend the love and the forgiveness and the just, the justness. We're also told that we only take with us the good. Hmm. We only take with us the good qualities. And if you think about darkness as an example, scientifically, darkness is simply an absence of light, like the lack of photons. So there is no such thing as darkness, which means that there is no such thing as evil, as bad qualities. There's, there's simply a lack of good qualities. So you always bring the good with you. And what we're told is that our souls are going to be always progressing in the worlds of God and the like closer to God, similar to like us getting closer to the sun, wanting to be closer to that heat, that light. And there will always be opportunities to progress. Um, but this is just literally the beginning of our journey of the soul. And if you want to, this is the part that I, that might be something um, that's helpful for you and Maria and what you guys are experiencing. So we're also told in, in our faith that just like we were able to communicate with the baby in the womb, just like we were able to talk to your children in the womb. Mm -hmm. And we know scientifically that a baby that's born can understand the language and the voice of the mother. It reacts to the language of the voice of the mother at birth because it's heard it the entire time. So we're told that you can influence the baby. That's why we play classical music for babies and mm -hmm. play music for the babies, right? Um, we believe that where we're going next, they can influence us in positive ways as well. Not in negative ways, in positive ways. And just like we can talk to our children, they can talk to us and they pull strings for us and they influence us. So when somebody passes on, we can still communicate with them via our prayers through acts of love and service, but they actually are, their prayers mean more to us there than they do here. So oftentimes you notice things or think of things or get inspired by something or see something that reminds you of that person. And I would argue that that is that person mm. showing up in your life, opening doors for you that maybe you wouldn't have seen, giving you whispering in your ear when you're not aware, causing you to turn left instead of right, influencing our lives in positive ways because they're here. We just can't see them. And Justin, do you feel as though when they're close to the end, they're almost in a... Um... They're almost in the tunnel. They're halfway between both worlds. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I have. I actually have. I, um, I, I believe that. And again, this is just from my personal experiences, right? Being with folks as they pass, and also from a lot of uh, from my own research and a lot of friends. And I'm, I have a obsession with near death experiences and NDEs, and I like to look at all of that stuff. And um, what I kind of believe happens is that there's this kind of this balance where as the physical body starts to die and as the, as the organs start to shut down and as our brain starts to kind of um, lose its strength on us, then I think I, I kind of think of the brain, like the governor, I actually think the reason we can only use 10% of our brain um, is because the brain is the thing that's actually stopping us from being able to see and communicate with what, the, with what's existing outside of us. 
That's just my, that's my, that's but not in the Justin, thing, that's just we, my thing. And Justin, we hear that a lot uh, from a lot of the experts we have here. Even the scientists say just what you just said. Yeah. So I just feel like, I feel like the brain is the thing. It's the governor that keeps us from being able to experience that world. And Baha'u'llah actually says that if we were able to experience the next world, why, we would never want to be here. Why would we want to be here in this painful, <laughs> terrible place at times when we could be there? Right. It's like, it's like asking us, would you ever want to go back into the womb? No, because we're told that the next world is as different to this world as this world is to the womb. So I think that the brain kind of stops us. And I think that as the body starts shutting down, as the brain starts shutting down, we're able to kind of be in both worlds. Um, and, uh, and I think that's when, you know, you, you could say scientifically, they say that, oh, the parts of the brains are part of the brain is activated. And that's why they're seeing people that have passed they're, Yeah, on, they're having illusions. I don't, I don't believe that. But I've also had firsthand experiences with people that have had near-death experiences where they've been scientifically dead and yet they've been able to recall everything that was said in that room while they were dead and they had zero brain activity. And there's fantastic books about this, um, but I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And so, yes, I believe that there's a combination of the scientific and the spiritual and, uh, and that, yeah, they're kind of in they're the, they're in the in between and when they're ready to pass on, they do. And I've seen incredible moments in my own life where people have waited. I remember my grandmother literally waited until I carried my grandfather to her bedside. They were married for 65 years oh so that he could say goodbye and read the Torah for her and pray for her. The second I left the hospital, she passed away. I believe that we wait and that we know and that our yeah. bodies know. Yeah. And the second that we left the hospital, she passed away and there was a double rainbow right out front. And I knew, and before I even got the phone call, I knew. You knew. And uh, I think that that stuff happens every day. It's yes. the miracle of life. And, and I think, you know, the other thing to remember that I see, and you've probably seen far more, is that people's missions, you know, continue all the way to that last breath. So, f like, it sounds like even with your grandmother, you know, there was there's still, we're still seeing things happen here that would not happen had Maria's mom not be in these days, these, these moments. And I yeah. feel like they're still serving purpose all oh, the way yeah. to the to the end and i and um and then yeah and I, I think maria now is in that we feel on that middle mom's in that middle place and maria's mm. even hearing her speak to her um in ways she didn't hear before and i know like for me like my father i like i agree everything with what you're saying i hear him all the time mm. i'm um, so sorry that you guys are going through that it doesn't make it Nothing that I'm going to say is going to make it any easier or painful because we love the people. No, it it, it actually does because it's part of life. And sometimes when you know they're going, they you really know they're going somewhere better, and that they're going to be with you, and that all of this is very brief, and we'll all be together again. It it helps. Yeah, it really does. I like to think of it as I like to think of it. Abdullah um, uh, talks about this life, and in context of the journey of the soul. Right, if you think about the life of the soul, the soul that's created. In this life, he uses the analogy of a bird flying through a birdcage with one end open, with both ends open. So if this moral life is the birdcage, the soul is the bird flying through the birdcage. And the time that that bird is in that birdcage, that millisecond is is this life. This life. It's, it's this much on our actual That's spiritual really development is. and journey of our souls. But there's a lot of work that we have to do here. That sets up the rest. I, you know, gym. I feel like, and you know, Justin, back to your book. I feel like um, you're doing the work, and I think you're from you and the generation below you. 
are going to be doing more work. And I think the next generation, it's going to have to, because I think everything's just kind of gone too fast and gotten so chaotic. But I think mm. it's wonderful. What what triggered you to to do the the book, Man Enough, to really look at this and say, wait, there's more going on here to being a guy, my guy experience, and I want to share. Because even when I read about the 10-year-old you and the older you and whatever, I'm like, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know. I knew every one of you because I've experienced it. But what what was the yeah. was the moment where you said, you know what, I, I want to, there's something a little messed got, up about how we see masculinity and I want to take yeah. a look at that. I get asked that question a lot. I don't think there was one moment. I think it was kind of a, was an amalgamation of a lot of moments, um, a lot of bee stings, if you will, um, a little, a lot of, a lot of moments where I was challenged by specifically women in my life who had held a mirror to me and shown me behavior that was hurtful. Um, moments where I was hurting myself. Moments, you know, moments that all of us experience as men, where. Uh, we get into a situation and suddenly we say something or act totally different. We have no idea why we're saying it or doing it, right? When we puff up our chests and we say something yeah, or we- I think every yeah, three like hours of my life. Yeah, right? There's <laughs> Literally. Just no, and then, and, and like, and you're, and, and you can be in a conversation and words can be escaping your mouth yeah. and your thought pattern at the same time. is like, why am I saying this? Yes. Who am I? I'm not in control of my body. And, you know? Yeah. And that's masculinity. That's this- this need to be seen as X enough, as, as this need to be wanted, this need to be a part of the club that doesn't really exist. And, and, uh, and I'm only here, honestly, because of, because of the grace and the patience of the women in my life who have loved me enough to give me feedback and thank God I've been willing to take it and look at it. And, and, and what I've discovered on my journey is that the bar is set so low for us men. So low that you can crawl over it. And part of why I wrote the book was I started getting a lot of praise and attention for saying very basic human things. There's something, there's something radical in my Ted talk. You know, what's radical. I'm a straight white cisgender dude. Who is all right, friends, let's talk about something we all do snack. Trust me. I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. An athlete who's got, who looks the way that he looks, and I'm talking about things that aren't normally talked about to the guys that look like me. I'm challenging a system that benefits me. That's the only thing radical about it. And maybe that is radical to a certain extent. But, but the things that I'm saying are very basic. It's human behavior, right? And yet, there are so few of us men that are saying it and willing to challenge it. 
it becomes a radical thing. Yeah. That's how low the bar is. And yeah. so that's one of the reasons why I decided to write the book. Honestly, I've been terrified to write the book. It's been scary. And the only way I could figure out how to write the book is by bringing myself down and humanizing myself, taking myself off of this bullshit pedestal. Pedestals, I hate pedestals. They don't exist. All pedestals do is make somebody want to carry off of them anyway. Yeah, knock you down. And showing like, yeah. I'm a mess. Here's how I'm a mess. And guess what? A lot of the reasons why I've made mistakes in my life, how I've hurt myself and other people is not because of me, not because I'm a bad person, but because of how I've been socialized. And that's the conversation. And how you've been socialized. You know, I, 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 there's a couple of things. I'm writing these things down because the, the pedestal thing, but also how you've been socialized and going back. I don't okay, think I'll send, I'll send you the podcast after it's done. <laughs> well, well, you know, I have to do this because if I won't absorb it. If I don't, I write down. So you're going to see me writing a lot during this, but these are like such valuable notes. And I'm hoping we, a mm -hmm. lot of our fans, this is what they do. They sit, what they listen to this with a notebook, but I was going to say, that's a, that's a brilliant way to learn. Yeah, right. A lot of people that's need, right. A lot of, a lot of people need auditory and have to have and, it or I will not. Yeah, right? And I have to do it way. a couple of times. But I was going to say, you know, I grew up in a time where, thank God I had a dad who at least said, hit everybody, every race, color, religion, like whatever. Like that's the best way to get to know yourself. And it's more fun that way. Don't like just date who you, like someone who's exactly who you are. But other than that, there was, if I ever have a son, I, I think I would like to tell him more about, um, about that part of it, you know, more about, uh, you know, the responsibility and, and empathy that's needed and, you know, keeping ego out of it. And because I, I think like you were saying, you're the, you know, that, that younger self in you was, it's, it, I won't, I won't put words in your mouth. I know for me, it, it became ego. It became like, you know, being able to pick up this one or oh, yeah. get that one. And, um, and it was, like you said, the bar was so low. No one was calling you out for it. You know, no one was, it was well, like everyone. Especially other men. Oh, yeah, no. No. And, um, and I think it's really important that we, we educate the next generation coming up that, you know, that's not really cool. And it's not going to feel good later in life if you evolve. Yeah. And, uh, and no one challenges you. Especially no. Especially the men. No. And, you know, and when you, and, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book. It's not one of the main reasons is I also wrote it for myself. And I wrote this book for myself. And as you talked about earlier, you know, you talked about, um, you know, writing it for that, you know, the six-year-old and the eight-year-old and the 12-year-old and all of the versions of yourself that I talk about that you see that you've been. Yes. Um, I never had this book. I never had somebody break this down. I never had somebody share their pain and their stories and the stuff that happened to them to educate me and prepare me. Um, because that's not how masculinity works. We're not allowed to share those things. Um, we completely lost that rite of passage. But what if the rite of passage was men being vulnerable with each other and sharing their traumas and their stories so yeah. to prepare boys for what's to come to say, don't do this. This happened to me. This is what it looks like. And it's okay. Because you you mentioned this earlier. I want to just read this real quick. If it's okay. Please. No, little, please. Little chapter. So, so why this book? Uh, this is from this is from the preface. I, I, because I need this book. I needed this book as the ten-year-old boy who was shown porn for the first time long before his body or mind was ready for it, Oof. likely paving new neural pathways, linking images of naked women to happiness and false feelings of self-worth, images that he would later use to attempt to fill voids in his life, voids that, when he was not aroused in the moment of using porn, would be replaced by shame. 
I needed this book as the 18-year-old freshman in college who felt the need to prove his masculinity by hooking up with as many girls as he could without any regard for their feelings or attachments in the process. And as the 22-year-old who didn't know how to say he wasn't emotionally ready to have sex for the first time. And as the 25-year-old man who was heartbroken and so financially broke that even if he could have afforded to eat for that month after he learned he was cheated on, he wouldn't have. And I needed it as the 29-year-old who had finally found the love of his life staged one of the most elaborate proposals of all time and then also found himself having cold feet for no other reason than what society was telling him would happen to him once he got married. And I go on and on and on up until yeah. me now, who's 37. And that's what it's about, man. And I think all of that is so relatable to men. And I love your generation is much more open to hearing it because I think like a book like this 20 years ago, you yeah. you remark like who's this Fruit Loop like you know what uh, I mean I'm still yeah but I'm no but I'm, that's still come on that's still gonna happen I, we know that we know there's a good there's a good part of the population that's gonna look at this uh, well and go, yes oh, look at this liberal Fruit Loop and I'm like I, actually no yeah I'm, no you don't okay. sound like that at all you found you sound actually very centered to me but I I think that it's the it's the beginning of the discussion it has to start somewhere and it finally yeah. is starting um, I I also think like so that's the the bad part that, you know, we do to others. And then there's the part I think of ourselves too, where, um, you know, we feel that need, like you said, to puff up the chest, right. Yeah. And put on the armor and go like, uh, kick ass. And, uh, and that's hard. And my wife will tell me that too. Cause I'll explain to her like about, you know, being a boy and, you know, you come up in a family and they say, Hey, you got to go out and fight. And if you like lose a fight, you'll, you're, you're you're not tough. You're, it's a really bad thing. And so it was, I, I always see when Maria hears it from other parents, whatever, she goes, wow, it really is hard growing up as a boy a in boy. that yeah. way. Well, just think about that for a second. If you lose a fight, you're not a man. But there's always going to be somebody who loses the fight. Right. So what does that mean for 50%? Miyagi always right. said, someone's always tougher. Someone's always tougher. Someone's, someone's always someone's someone's going to be tougher, smarter, better looking, right. more confident, right. have more money, have a have a bigger penis. There's always going to be somebody or something bigger. And if we're if we're as men constantly comparing ourselves to that, how will we ever be happy? We know that know. we know that comparison is the thief of joy. But what does that actually look like as men? And yeah, what does it? What is this everywhere? What does that look? Why, that's why men. we're joyless. And you know what? I think that you, you, here's where the joylessness is kind of masked because you put it more into the fight. All right, I'll just yeah. make more money. I'll kick more ass. I'll do, okay, well, I'll make another project. I'll do that. And so, and then it's like, it's anesthetizer. Maybe there's some kind of blowout party or some release. You buy a new car, whatever it is, right? But then it's back to that. And I know, it's funny, yeah. we know the same people too that are still engaged. I call it like 20th century thinking, but I think the pandemic is sh shaking a lot of it, but I know a lot of men still stuck in that. And when I see them, I can see how um, angry and upset, they're not happy people. And I almost yeah. want to say, you no. let go, you did it, it's over. Like you don't have to keep going out and kicking ass. Well, we don't, well, we don't know how to stop. Yeah. Because, because it's, a, it's an illusion. It's a, it's a tunnel that leads to nowhere. It's a bridge that leads to nowhere. It's a mountain that's impossible to climb. You'll never get to the top. So all we're doing is chasing happiness. And 
our enoughness is is reliant on external forces, external validation about someone else or something telling us that if we acquire enough or if we get enough, if we if we marry up enough, if we whatever enough, then then we're enough. And that that is why we're so depressed, because as you know, and look, you've you've had a lot of success and I'm very blessed to have a lot of success. The more you acquire, the less happy you actually are. And that's proven. I love. Didn't didn't Jim Carrey say that he he wishes everybody could experience fame, right? So that they could so that they could learn and realize that that fame is not the answer. Yeah, and you know he he kind of gets a you know cynics can you know I hear just joke writers whatever just have so much fun at his expense and I'm like you don't get him. He that guy is on the journey and he sees it. He's highly sensitive, intuitive, which is why he's a great mimic. And I feel like he's. I feel like he oh, yeah. gets. I, yeah, I understand what I always yeah. when I see him, I get it. I have never Jim talked Carrey to him. But, is, you know, Jim Carrey is brilliant. Uh, I I stay away from the political parts of his conversations, but he has a lot to say and a lot of introspection that if we uh, you know we what? Just ignore most people's political conversations. <laughs> I try. Well, you know what it is I try. because you know it's the same kind of empathy that you're con you conjure in the this book. You know, man enough. You have to have the same empathy for that generation and for the other people because they're scared, you know, and they're free, freaked out. And it's funny. I, I've said with this whole pandemic that um, if you are skipping through this and whistling and having a good time. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. What do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Um, I, there's something off with you. I think everybody has taken... You're missing, you're missing the empathy, Gene, if that's yeah, the case. Yeah, and I and so I said that you, if you're having a hard time right now, um, I get it, you know, because of everything going on. It's funny, again, another mutual friend of ours who I won't mention, um, you know, Maria was texting with him, it's A-list star, and about another star who, like, is tweeting out insanity. And um, the star, of Maria's star friend said, you know, if only... We finally have an antidote, a vaccine for uh, Corona. If only we had one for um, the mental health issues that have come yeah. of isolation, you know, and seeing yeah. how. Pe- so anyway, so like I, I take now at whatever one anyone's yeah. tweeting or putting out, I take with a grain of salt because man, I, I think a lot of people are hurting, a lot of people are freaked out, and and I yeah. think if they could again read this book and subscribe to what what you're saying and the other healers are saying, which is to kind of realize most of it's an illusion anyway, to take that pause, to, to look inward at yourself, you know, microtransactions of who's around you. Um, anyway, so we like, we digress. You're, you are, you're a really uh, thoughtful, eloquent man. Oh, well, 
Uh, I, <laughs> Justin, you're amazing. Uh, you know what it is, Justin? Doing this show. Who's this other voice, by the way? I want to hear this other Hi, voice. Kelsey, well, Kelsey's the... Hi. On, that, so you, oh, you didn't meet me, Kelsey? No, I didn't pre with him. So Kelsey's a very bright light, as you can see. Justin, I met Hi, you at Kelsey. Whole Foods. Couple years ago, I was just telling Kev. I said, <laughs> she met you. I said, "Listen, Kev, I saw Justin at Whole Foods in West Hollywood mm, a couple well, I years can't ago." See you, Kelsey. There's, I only I'm always seeing here, this me, handsome man. Let me, I only, there's only one camera. Let me switch. Oh, hi, hi, Kelsey. Hi, Kelsey met you at Whole Foods. So we're besties. As we digress. Yeah, I told Kev that. I said, "Listen, Justin and I go way back." <laughs> he smiled at me at Whole Foods. I smiled at him a couple years ago. We had a moment. Did we actually meet or did we just engage no, in a smile? No, we definitely were just in line together. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to bug him, but I am going to smile. And then you smiled back and it was very nice. And I was like. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Sometimes I have these I have these fears where it's like, oh, my God, if I ever am having a bad day, then I'm going to ruin somebody's. Right, you know, right. Yeah. And it's and it's a real, it's a real thing. It is also thing. when you go out in public and when you become, I don't know, whatever the hell we're, we're called, uh, public figures. In some way, and I'm and I can, and I always joke that I'm like a C or D list. Uh, I can't even imagine the pressure of being an A list. Like if you're having a bad day, and I maybe I didn't smile at you, you would think I was an asshole. Yeah, yeah. no, I and, know. Yeah, you it, know, it's kinda, and it's, it's such a, and it, it's yeah. it's so hard. I'm so happy that I smiled at you that day. So, uh, <laughs> so that makes me feel better. Yeah, you did. So, well, you know, well, it's funny, Deepak Chopra. I was saying by doing this show every day, it's really enlightened me. It's that's why I was so excited to do this episode because I learn so much and like Deepak Chopra one of the things he was saying is that you know he's like we're many roles in life but we're not the we're not we're not one any any one role and and he also mm -hmm. talked about the fact that yeah he can't always be on can't always be Deepak yeah there's days where he's in a bad mood or he you know but it it doesn't mean that that's who he is mm -hmm. that he's a phony on camera and a and a jerk off yeah and then we also have to we also have to as folks in public then detach and and not let the court of public opinion dictate our own happiness also um and that's something that i as a people pleaser right as somebody who grew up wanting to be liked yeah that's a, that's something that i struggle and i wrestle with right so in the event that i saw i put i'll put so much pressure on myself yeah me too to justin sure. but justin how do you deal I with that though? the power how do you how do deal with that though because i know that feeling of being a people pleaser and like wanting to come through yeah. for everybody and then if you're a celebrity and especially with this book a lot of people are going to reach out help me with this help me with that mm -hmm. how do you come to terms with that because i think that's everybody out there feel well, at least our group of people that listen we call them the heel squad we're yeah. kind of all the flight attendants and the people pleasers of the world so how do you deal with that you know i'm i learn from other people um, I did literally just a few minutes ago, I'm not going to say her name, but a, a, a massive influential author who's a friend of mine. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I was reaching out to some author friends and, um, asked to, you know, do Instagram live. Uh, and this person has been taking a digital detox and just said, I can't right now for my own health. And, I'm so proud of you and I'm supportive of you, blah, blah. And I look at that and I admire it so much. I don't care about the Instagram live, you know, I, I'm obviously we're trying to combine audiences so that more people than mine listen or read the book. Right. Mm -hmm. But what I cared more about in that moment was like, oh, this is an example of how somebody is taking care of their mental health. This is an example of how somebody's setting positive boundaries so, um, so that they protect themselves and their families. And so I'm just constantly learning because then I want to, I want to take that myself and figure out, well, how do, how do I make sure that I'm also honoring myself when I get, you know, 
tens or hundreds of folks reaching out for me for the same thing. Because the one thing we know, back to the first conversation that we had, is that the most valuable thing in our entire lives is our time. The most valuable thing that we have, the most finite resource, the most precious gemstone. So how are we spending it? Who are we giving it to? What are we doing with it? That's what matters more than anything. So what am I giving my time to? And maybe I'm sure Deepak and meditative, uh, you know, uh, gurus and folks talk about um, what are we giving our attention to? Well, what are we giving our time to? So are we giving our time to social media, to Instagram, to, you know, to people pleasing, to worrying, to all of these things? I mean, we could go on and on and on about what we give our time and our energy to, but if you distill it down to time, I don't have the time to do everything that I need to do and worry about if I'm pleasing everybody else. That is a recipe for depression and anxiety, and it will paralyze you. I've seen it paralyze so many people that I love yeah. because here we are. You know, we're, it's this, it's, I kind of joke that God gave us this, he gave us this gift. And also it's such a mean joke, the gift of time. <laughs> it feels slow and goes fast. It's like as a parent, right? They say that the days are slow, but the years are fast. And here we are, God's like, all right, we know, you know, you're going to die one day. So what are you going to do with the time I'm giving you? Right. And if you want to go even deeper, one of my Muslim brothers reminded me, you know, uh, that we have to make time for the creator of time. How about that? Mm. We oftentimes, we don't have time to pray. We don't have time to go to church. We don't have time to do all these things. We don't have time to be of service. We're so focused on our own selves. We don't make time for the creator of time. Mm. But we got to also really be mindful of what we're giving our time to. So that's what I, that's what, so when you, so when, going back to your question, how do I balance it? I'm learning from other people. Um, this is, we're in uncharted territory in 2021 with social media and instant communication and on-demand gratification for anything and everything, you know, from, from food deliveries to dating to, I could give a subscription for anything. Now I don't have to leave my house. I could have all the luxuries in the world delivered to me for God's sakes. Um, so what are we spending our time on? That's going to be the big question, I think for all of us. And, uh, and for me, I want to be spending my time on things that are of service, but also, not of service to the world, of service to my family, service to myself. To yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So, 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 uh, Justin, do you look at your? Do you actually look at your physical day and say, you know, these many hours to this, these many hours to that, or whatever your task are? No. You look at the tasks and say, because that's not how my brain works. Okay, I, 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 I wish it was. I actually know a lot of men. It tends to be a. It tends to be a fairly uh, celebrated masculine quality to be like regiment, regimented yeah. and scheduled in their, yeah. in their days. Like wake up, wake up at 4am, do this by 4.15, do this by 4.30. You yeah. know, it's like you have the Tim Ferriss's of the world and right. these types of guys um, who do that. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a ADD creative thinker. Right. Um, I, so I, I actually don't function well that way. It's very hard for me, even getting to the point where I can make a list is hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um because I get so distracted with so many other things. So really for me, it's about finding my center. So as an example, in the Baha'i faith, we're told to wake up in the morning, start our days a certain way. We start our days with reading the writings and a prayer or praying. Um, so what is so your day? So you're, you're giving and you're taking as an example. Um, you're asking God for something and also you're taking it. And that's a, that's a center. That's a grounding. 
Um, and so whatever your faith is, whatever your religion is, whatever your belief is, you can do the same thing. You can meditate, you can pray, you can read something that inspires you. Um, and that's kind of a grounding thing. And then throughout the day, there's one moment in the day where as Baha'is we're asked to pray, you know, as an example, Muslims pray five times. Um, and, uh, and as a, as a Baha'i, we're just asked to pray at one moment in the day. It's a tether. It's a grounding back to why. And, you know, one of the Arabic words for human is insan, which is translated to they who forget. So literally one of the oldest written languages, uh, human beings are insane because we forget, we forget everything. So the purpose of God, the purpose of religion is to help us remember, remember our worth. Our As a first time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. Value, right? That's what prayer is for. That's what all of this stuff exists for, to help us remember that we're spiritual beings having a physical experience, that all of this stuff is an illusion, right? We're thirsty in the desert, and all of these material things around us are just an illusion. They're not real, but we, but we drench ourselves in them. We bathe in them, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, so, and so it's about remembering. And so my days, at the end of the day, I always, I always try to, to go back to like, okay, how am I being of service? Is this about me? What's and and in the book I talk about the why ladder. So let me let me just tell me about that, please. Yeah, the why ladder. Take it down to a practical thing. And I want to be clear that 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 I'm not asking anybody to become obsessed with this why ladder because you can take it too far. But the why ladder is series of whys. Why am I doing this? Okay. Well, why? And well, why? And if you ever have been in the car with your children and they ask you why, <laughs> and then they ask you why again, after the third why, you don't have an answer. Because right. it doesn't exist. You like, because God created cells and they, it's like, it's like, why, why, why? If you can reduce it down even with two whys, you'll generally get to the core. And I, I put this, the why, I put the why ladder in the body image chapter because I talk about my muscle dysphoria, dysphoria and um, dysmorphia and them on my body image issues and just the reason for why one would want to diet or why one would want to go work out and how you can take the same approach, but one's healthy and one's not. You know, as an example, I, I might want to go work out, um, but if I'm doing it because I feel less than and I'm expecting the workout to make me feel enough, then it's never going to work. Ah. It'll never work because no matter how big I get, I get, no matter how big my muscles are, how strong I am, I'll always be trying to fill a void. Right. But if I go and I am aware of it, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not feeling enough. Why? Why am I feeling insecure? 
Oh, because I just saw that, that, uh, I saw, I just, I was following that guy that looks amazing on Instagram and he was doing this workout and mm-hmm. I feel like shit and I just want to make myself feel better. Well, at the, at the very least, you can then go one level deeper. Why? And whatever that answer is, you can still go work out, but at least go work out knowing why. And at the same time, you can convince yourself and remind yourself that like, well, actually working out makes me feel connected to my body. And when I feel connected to my body, I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in my joy or working out, you know, I want to work out because I'm 37 and like my back hurts and I want to like, you know, have more energy. Yeah. I want to be able to, I want to be able to throw my son up in the air without, without tearing a rotator cuff. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you someone that's like, tw- <laughs> who's almost 20 years older than you. What, what is a great, great motivation is I know you love to direct and you want to be a filmmaker. Well, yeah. it takes a lot of youth and energy. You see a guy like Stallone and you feel like you're talking to a 48 year old guy. He's got such passion. He's got, you know what I mean? And he's, he talks about whatever film he's working on. It's like his first film. But then I see, you know, a lot of other guys who unfortunately are tired old men and they don't have it. I can see you're such a passionate young man that the working out is going to extend all of the dreams you want to do. And by the way, the quality time with your children, you'll be able to play sports with them or be active with them. So, but let's think about that for one second. Yeah. Let's say I want to work out because I'm feeling insecure and I want to, I want to have, I want to be ripped and have big muscles yeah. versus what you just said, yeah. which is I want to work out because I want to extend my life and have energy yeah. and at 70 years old, be able to move and move freely without pain. Well, those workouts look different mm. and that's what we don't realize yeah. is, and, and, and let's use the gym as a metaphor. The way that I approach the gym to fill a void in my insecurity is going to be completely different than the way I approach the gym if I'm thinking about holistic well-being, energy, and movement. Because that will be about building a foundation, about a little more flexibility and stretching. It'll be about you know working out the muscles that nobody sees versus the other one, which is about which is going to lead to injury oftentimes. Yep. Which is about overloading and taxing a muscle. And that doesn't actually lead to long-term growth. Why do you think that let's be let's look at let's look at Stallone? Right. right? This is a guy who was who built a career around his body. Right. And also probably takes uh, things like HGH. Yeah, and stuff yeah, like he's that very open about that. Yeah. And and a lot of these guys have had multiple surgeries. Yes. Why? Because the shoulders, the knees, bodies. the hips. I I abused my bodies. I have more torn muscles and ligaments and strains in my body than most guys in their 50s, and I'm 37. Why? Because I was working out to fill the void, to look good in a shirt, mm-hmm. to look good when my shirt was off. I wasn't working out thinking of myself that at 37, I'm going to have a five and a half year old and I want to be able to run without pulling my hamstring. Right. I would have been doing the things that aren't, weren't sexy. Mm-hmm. I would have been doing, you know, plyometrics and mobility drills mm-hmm. and yoga. Right. I would have been doing more meditation before and breath work before my workouts to get my body warmed up. I wouldn't have jumped right into like, Two twenty five on the bench yeah. or overloading squats, right? Yep. I would have never done that. So it's again, it's 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 understanding the why. This why ladder and adjusting. I think this why ladder is brilliant for everybody. Mm-hmm. Because how often do we ask why? Why by you the know, way, well, as men, we're not trained to. As men we're told uh, not to. You don't ask. Yeah. But I also think with a lot I don't think women I think men do it less than women. I I know a lot of women. I just feel like so many of us we just get up, we try our best. Uh, 
Justin, we get tired, we drink a lot of coffee, and then it's like we put bad food in our system, and then there's drugs, and there's then to feel better, it's alcohol, and it's bad relations, yeah. you know, and like we just watch more 90 Day Fiance, and like, <laughs> you know, but I, I get it when I see people like, you know, it, they're not taking that time, they're not taking the thoughtfulness you're saying when you wake up in the morning to, to, to you know, have your prayer, which I love, or your meditation, but asking the why you know, why am i going in the gym or why am i why am i on youtube all day you, you know what i mean am like, i scrolling on instagram all day is this serving me yeah. why am i why am i on dating apps all day long is yeah, why am i yeah. like why am i gambling why am i looking at porn right what is the root cause and if you and if you and if you even look at cognitive behavioral therapy it always stems from like changing behavior and having to figure out the why behind it anyways like why am i doing this stuff why am i interrupting my life all of our, we just got to be able to be able, we got to be willing to ask why and then have conversation around it with ourselves and with others. That, it's, it's really that simple. The conversation just has to start. We have to be willing to look at the behavior. And if we're not even willing to look at the behavior, then we can't fix it. And that's really a core kind of bringing it back to the book and what we're right. trying to talk about in masculinity. It's about acknowledging. It's about asking why. Why do we puff out our death and stay stupid shit when we when we're around people? Why do we interrupt the women that we love? Right. You know, why do we not stand up for other, for women when we hear men talking in sexist ways? Right. Why why do we devalue X group? And these are things that we just have to look at. Yeah. And I think you're right with men. It was it, I know with you know how I was raised, it's just like suck it up, dude. Yeah. Get yeah. up and fight. Just get up and do stop, it. Stop asking questions. Yeah. Right, we're told literally to not ask questions. Well, in what world is that okay that you don't ask questions? Where does that serve anything or anybody? We must ask questions. As human beings, we're born into this world and we are designed to seek answers. So by telling ourselves to stop asking questions, we are denying the very thing that makes us human, which is we're on the quest for truth. Otherwise there would be no religion. We wouldn't have religions. We wouldn't have self-help books and gurus and people. Everybody's asking the same question. Why are we here? Why are we alive? What's the meaning of life? But yet we tell ourselves and our boys to stop asking questions. Stop, just work, work harder, get more, you know, and then like just, yeah. And it's Don't a cycle, just, just work gonna... harder to have more, to work harder to have more. And then the kids end up spoiled anyway. Absolutely. They didn't get the real quality attention. Yeah, it's it's an ugly cycle. I, I think this, you really have me on this stop and ask why. And it's taking those pauses. And and then the other thing is, like you said, is really asking like what what serves, right? But serves other people, obviously. But then what what serves you? I don't think people ask that or does this serve me? You you know you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I'm just right now starting to ask myself, Justin, like what serves me like what wait why did i just get an incredible high off this conversation with this person and then why with this other person do i just want to tear my body apart but i would never have asked before you know I, even up to months yeah. ago i would never have asked that question i'm i'm really happy that um that you're feeling that and i i even think you can like you could even bring it back to um you can even bring it back bring that back to the gym and I just want, I don't want to keep hitting the gym metaphor, but it's not even about self-love. It's just about self-awareness, right? It's very hard. Self-love is a really hard thing to figure out and put into practice. 
Yep. Oh, love yourself. What the hell does that even mean? I love that you're saying this. We just had this conversation. Do that. Kelsey and I said this conversation this morning. She's like, Kevin, you know, I, I just, I I want, I want self love. I go, no one has. Who really has self love? I know, I know people in love love with themselves. Right. I know that, especially in Hollywood. They think though. They think they're in love with themselves. Exactly. The reality, they're empty. They're They're feeling empty. Hundred percent. But but self awareness is such a. It's like this. Self love is such an impossible thing, and it, it and unfortunately puts a lot of pressure on people. And it's like. And you get lost. You start self-love becomes ego a lot because nobody knows how to do it. It's like self-love is like, oh no, you know, it becomes this whole hippie dippy thing. I don't know how to self-love. I know how to self, I know how to be self-aware. I know how to be compat like let's be compassionate to ourselves. Like that. Self-compassion, self-empathy, self-forgiveness. Those things maybe can lead to self-love, but but that self-awareness of like what makes me feel good. Well. That's a great, that's a, that's a great thing to ask. And if the answer is going to the gym, then boom, go to the gym. Right. Right. It doesn't mean like, Oh, how do I love myself today? I want to go to the gym. No, it's like, well, what makes me feel good? What would make me feel good right now? Reading a book, not looking at my phone, going on a hike. Okay. Well, can I find the time to do that? Maybe not today in my schedule, but can I find the time tomorrow or next week? Can I make a date with myself? It'd be anything. But that stems from awareness. That stems from like self-awareness and just being willing to ask ourselves why. What makes me think why? Yeah, and I think also even um even let me just add like a slight even a footnote. It's after after why maybe asking how. For example, so yeah. let's say I'm on. I do a the YouTube rabbit hole which I do all the time. <laughs> then I want to ask myself, how do I feel after this? Do I feel satisfied watching three hours of old Hawaii Five O episodes, clips from Star Trek, and let's say, you know, old wrestling videos from like the 1980s? Like afterwards, do I really feel, I'm like, I kind of feel a little bit of a hangover. I feel kind of like I'm a little ashamed that I wait, I, I could have done something constructive in that time. And yeah. I, I don't think... Uh, yeah, I, and again, I think there's healthy releases too. So I, I think you know, I think yeah, that, and, that, right, and, and, a, then, and that's where we can get too critical. So there's two ways you could there's two there's a fork in the road there. So you could go why again, and you could find that you're watching those three hours of YouTube because you're overworked. You're maybe feeling a lot of pressure. Maybe you're feeling stressed and tired. <laughs> maybe you're depressed. Um, maybe you got in a fight with Maria. Who knows? Uh, and you're like, I just want an outlet. So really, what you're doing is self-medicating. <laughs> just give me all of the above, except the fight with Maria, but all the other stuff. Yeah. yeah. But oh so, 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 right. And so, so you ask yourselves, you ask yourself why again, and you get more to the root of it yeah. and then you can become aware of it. And then if you go, why even deeper? Well, why am I overworked? Why am I working too hard? Well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm using work to fill a different void. Yeah. What, like, do I need to make more money? Do I actually, is this serving me? The how is also really important, the how you feel. And I love that footnote. But I think that I think that the how is tied back to that second why. Mm-hmm. Right? Because well, how the high, yeah, the high the brings end, you back to the second why. Yeah. The how well, the why brings you back to the how. Because the how, sorry, I know we're confusing people. Yeah. How you're <laughs> feeling right now mm-hmm. after watching three hours of YouTube is probably similar to how you're feeling underneath why you're working so hard. Yes. Like it's all tied, it's all kind of tied back together. And it's the same thing that, you know, it's the same thing that I struggled with when I'm like pulled to pornography. Right. I'm like, why? I, why? 
why am I, why do I, why do I want to go do that? Well, why? Because when I was 10 and 11 and 12 years old, before my body was even changing, I was introduced to porn. And when I was the loneliest in my life and when I was bullied and I had no friends, that was my friend. So as a 37 year old man, 36 year old man who has external forces and is feeling similar feelings, whether it's bullied or alone or not, like I'm not enough or I'm working too hard, whatever it is, the, the brain doesn't discriminate. I just go right back to having the same feelings I had when I was 12 years old and my brain goes, oh, this will help you. But if I don't ask myself why, I'll never get to the bottom of it. And how that makes me feel is super important. I know that at the end of that, I'm gonna feel shame and I'm gonna feel depression. I'm gonna feel awful. Yeah. And I'm not gonna, I, I'm gonna feel like there's something wrong with me. I'm gonna feel dirty. So why am I doing it? Well, I, that's not gonna stop me from not doing it again. Going to the why is gonna stop me. Going to why it's happening. Going to the root cause of what are those feelings underneath it? And then changing that behavior is gonna be the thing that helps me in the end. So again, all of these things lead us to the same place. All roads in essence lead us to Rome but it requires us being willing to be self-aware and to ask really uncomfortable questions and to be confronted with uncomfortable answers and not be defensive or deflective about it. We can't have egos when we're doing that internal self-work. That's why in the book, I call it the hard work of heart work. The hard work of heart work. Wow. I think there's so Going deep today together. Yeah, well, you know together. what? Yeah, but listen, there's so much amazing takeaway. But I tell you, to me, it's like for guys, a hundred percent. But I think for women as well. I mean, I right, Kelsey? Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, for sure. When I like Justin, you talk about in the book too. It's like for women, something they can really take away is like being more, like more empathy for the men in their lives. And I think that that's really important because it's like. We also see you guys from these like societal societal norms that have been put up, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, uh, and where you're oppressor, right? Right? Yeah. Right. It's like, well, Kev just gets like mad and puffer fishy, so whatever, like you know, whatever. <laughs> but it's like, no, Kev's hurting, and so it's like when we're also aware of that, I think that that's such a beautiful thing, and that that can foster those conversations and those relationships and just like those deeper mm. things. Well, I think that what we don't think about is that women and men, all of us, are brought up in the same culture, the same patriarchal system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're suffering in the exact same ways. You know, my good friend Liz Plank wrote a book called For the Love of Men, and she oftentimes talks about how her liberation is tied to mine. Mm -hmm. She can't be set free unless I set myself free. And I think that's really, really important for us as men to realize and, it's for, and for women. And so when I talk about having empathy for men, it's not saying, oh, women, you have to deal with oppression and you must have empathy for us. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that, and as Bell Hooks talks about in A Will to Change, women also suffer from their own internal misogyny, which is an outcome from being raised in a patriarchal culture. Yeah. Right. And it's that thing, right? It's it, and a lot of really sensitive, good, woke women have been or dated woke men, right? And been disgusted by them. Uh, Glennon Doyle talks about this in Untamed, mm -hmm. right? How, how um, there are so many women who want men to be emotional and vulnerable, yet when they finally meet one and are confronted with a man being vulnerable, their first reaction is disgust because they've been raised in a system yeah. that teaches men that they're not allowed to cry and teaches women that when a man cries, he's weak and not a good partner. Right. 
So we all have shit to unlearn here. Yeah, we do. I, all of us do. But, but my work is really with men. And my hope is that through, through seeing with my eyes, women can also have some extra empathy for the men in their lives. Well, and I think too, something I just wanted to note on because you said it at the beginning and Kev, I was mentioning this to you the other day. My roommate and I always joke where it's like, if we have friends who it's like, oh, what do you look for in a guy? We're like, yeah, the bar is on the floor, you guys. The bar's on the floor. Yeah, you crawl over it. Yeah, (laughs) and it's like, that's not funny. That's We laugh about it, but it's not funny. So when you said that that at the beginning, that like really struck me. I was like, ooh, yeah. I mean, but that's something we all collectively need to work on. I think- Yeah, and yeah, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, like, I I think that, you know, for people in relationships, and I've been in one for a long time, and thank goodness I had a mom that was a very independent, strong woman, mm. and a dad who was very macho, but yet changed diapers and made lunches. And, did, you know, so I grew up in a system that was um, different for the time. And I know in our relationship, I go back to the word you just said, your partner. We, we always, Marie and I always felt like we we're a partnership. So Marie was out, you know, earning. And there was a period of time where she was the the big breadwinner. And I would always say, team sports, go with the hot hand. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I yeah. did everything else, which was take care of mom and dad, take care of the dogs, grocery shopping, cleaning, laundry, from the time we were in an apartment to on on and on and on. And um, and that always worked for us. I, I still don't have a problem with it, I you know, with doing it. And then I would joke with Marie and say, hey, you know, as long as you're willing to go the other way, if I become the primary breadwinner and she's like, I am, but I really don't want that to happen. So <laughs> I'll just keep working and you can keep doing your thing. And, and, and it's really worked for us, but we never, with us, we never, ju- we never had those norms. It was never. And if we have children, if we're blessed enough, hopefully this year, it's never going to be about who's going to do the diapers, the bottles, the feet, it, you know, it, it will never be like that for us. And I think mm. that's really helped us is knowing that we're a team, we're a partnership and, you know, whoever just has to do the work for the partnership on one end and and who's doing the work on the other. And that's, what's always worked for us. Yeah. What you're describing, um, is, is the equality in practice and, um, in a household. And it's really important because you can have to have the conversation, right? Because most people don't have the conversation ever. They just assume gender roles. And having that conversation is so important and it's going to look different for every family. Right. But being man enough to not have your worth uh, affected by your wife being the breadwinner is really important. Right. Right. Because the winds of success can change for everybody. Mm. And, uh, and it's studies have shown that men are happier when they're providing at an equal rate with women. Yeah. Like we're happier when women are also adding to, you know, to the income level of the household. Yeah. Right. But we've been taught this idea that no women, we have to make sure that our women don't have to do anything, but that's all bullshit. Who who decided that? We're not like 1950s madmen. Yeah. Like that's not where we're like, but even then who decided these things? Somebody did. I always tell this, I always tell the story, a dear friend of mine and a, and a former mentor of mine, and I haven't seen him in a while because he moved but deeply affected my life. His name's Oscar. And he told me the story of the way that we learn things as humans and take these things that we learn that are passed down as, as truths that have been written in stone. And there's a reason why we do them. And he talked about his Thanksgiving dinners growing up. And Oscar's a, he's a black man born in LA, also a Baha'i. And uh, just, uh, he's like a wise sage. 
and he was talking about his uh, his his Thanksgivings every year. They did ham. They didn't do turkey. They did ham. And his grandmother would always cut the ham in half and do one first and then the other. And and it was just this tradition. And they did it for years. It took about like 30, 40 years. And then his mom started doing it. And then he started doing it. And nobody ever asked why. It was just, this is the best way. To, this is the way that we make ham. This is the way to do it on Thanksgiving. This is the tradition of our family. And the ham tasted amazing. And it was perfect. And it was always the best. And everyone looked forward to this ham. But this is how you made it in the family. And then one day, he's like, hey, you know, Grandma, why do you, why do you cut the ham in half? Why do, you, why do you do it this way? And the mom didn't know. And the grandma's like, oh, honey, it's because the oven wasn't big enough. <laughs> the oven oh my God. back then 60 years ago oh wasn't big enough for the whole ham, so and they that, cut it in half and they and cooked it. it. And oh that God. became the tradition. And that just became, yes, the unquestioned tradition. This is the thing. Nobody asked why for 40, 50 years. No one asked why. And if we just were to ask why, why do we have gender roles? Why, why does, why is it not okay for the man to do laundry? What is it in us men that thinks that it's working a chore if we have to do the dishes? What's the thing that is in us that expects women to do these things? What is that about? Where does it come from? And in reality, you're gonna find that it doesn't come from anywhere. It's just all bullshit tradition. And sure, maybe, you know, during uh, intense times in our past, there were the male jobs were much more laborious. And sure, you can go back and look at history and sociology and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm sure there's reasons for everything yeah. at one point in time. And, sure. But that's not where we are today. No. And we have to progress as people or we wouldn't be where we are today. You guys, the book is... Man enough, Justin Baldoni, this will not be our last conversation on air, please, because we have so much more we have to go over. I know you have a stacked day. You guys, this is an amazing book for men and women, I'm telling you. And I think, you know, ending it today, it's like, it, for me, the takeaway is the, is this, this, the why, the practice of the why of all the great lessons. It's why do we do these things? And anyway, so Justin, mm. continue success. I see, I see with you, I think for you that your challenge is going to be is is going to be managing the greatest gift, as you said, of time because you've got more books in you um, and more in self help. But then also, I know you're a great storyteller and actor. So your challenge in the next say forty or fifty years is going to be how to balance that, and of course, be an amazing dad yeah. and partner too. So, but that's okay. Yeah, that's, that's a high class joke, problem. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's a high class problem. High class you know problem. It's going to come. It's going to have to come with us making choices. Yeah, and me understanding, as someone once told me, that I can do it all, but not all at once. Yeah, mm. amen. On that note, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. All right, you guys, Kevin had to run, so you are stuck with me and Winnie. Um, but what an amazing conversation, Justin. I liked him before, and I like him even more now. Really, seriously, go get a copy of this book. Give it to every man in your life. We were just joking about that. I will be doing that. Um, and stay tuned for Regular Guy Friday tomorrow. Oh, and you know what? Also, not only get them a copy of this book, but send all the men in your life this episode because I just think it's, it's really important. So many good lessons and so much great takeaway in there. So thank you guys. We love and appreciate you. And until 
tomorrow. Don't forget, oh, Winnie's already snoring. <laughs> be nice people, make good choices, and be present.